Welcome to the Journey Women Podcast. I'm your host, Hunter Belis. Life's a journey we were never meant to walk alone. We all need friends along the way. On the Journey Women Podcast, we'll chat with mentors about gracefully navigating the seasons and challenges we face on our journeys to glorify God. Today, I'm interviewing Renee Blakely, a college mentor from my time at the University of Arkansas. Renee is originally from South Carolina. She married her high school sweetheart, Gage, almost 44 years ago. They live near their son and his family in the Fort Bragg, North Carolina area. Renee says the best part of her life is the fact that she's Mimi to three grandsons. She loves gardening, cooking, going to the beach, and good coffee. I invited Renee to be on the show to discuss the topic of grief as she lost her daughter tragically in a car accident 21 years ago. We talked about her own process of grieving, and she answered a lot of questions I had about how to come alongside someone who has experienced trauma or crisis. I think you'll find our conversation helpful and impactful. Thank you so much for listening. You know, as I was thinking about this podcast, this has been a dream for the past probably eight months. Really, I had the dream a long time ago, but started putting pen to paper and thinking, who would I actually want to come on the show? What do I want them to talk about, etc.? You were on my original list, which I can screenshot and send to you. And I haven't ever actually talked to you about what I'd like to talk to you about today. But really, all of our mutual friends have told me um, a little bit about your story. So I'm excited to hear your story firsthand today. And I'd love if you could just share a little bit of it with us okay. um, and what your own walk through grief looked like. Oh, well, I'd be glad to. Um, as, as strange as it might sound, uh, walking with people in grief um, brings me a lot of joy. And it, it doesn't sound like it would be that way at all. But um, you know, sometimes I think in the past I haven't asked you because it scares me to ask someone. I don't want to bring up <laughs> yeah. something that can cause them them pain. Yeah. But you're saying that it brings yeah. you joy. It does, and it would have done the same thing to me had it uh, before I walked through it myself. But hmm. so here goes. In July of 1996, long, long time ago, uh, almost 21 years now. Our um, we were living at the Air Force Academy in Colorado Springs. My husband, um, my daughter, who was 18 and a half and had graduated from high school. And we, our son was back in Alaska finishing, doing college there. Uh, that was uh, where we had been stationed before the Air Force Academy. So he, our son John, was in Alaska going to school and working. And our daughter was living with us. and had taken a year off after high school graduation to work for a little while, save money for a car, mm -hmm. and decide what she wanted to study when she went to school. So it was July of 96, and it's a busy season at the Air Force Academy, and we had a lot of visitors. So we had this little 1,200-square-foot house, mm -hmm. and it was packed to the rafters. And um, Yeah, that's pretty small. And it was 4th of July. And so, of course, um, we were hosting a cookout. And that night, we all were all going. The Air Force Academy had a, has a beautiful tradition. On um, 4th of July night, they do a fabulous fireworks display. So we had had the cookout. Um, and it's funny because that very day, I was pulling chicken out of the marinade to get ready to put it on the grill. And I heard my husband knock on the door 
of the bathroom down the hall. My daughter would, had just gotten home from work and said she wanted to take a good shower before we all left to go up the hill. And um, so she got, I could hear her in the bathroom and my husband just banged on the door real loud. It almost startled me, but I heard him yell out, Anna, I love you. And at that moment, I just felt this wave of mm. gratitude cover me. And I, I started thinking about, I'm in this tiny little house. It's crammed to the gills with people. I'm really exhausted for this season of hosting and you know, hospitality. Yeah. And, and um, just all of that. And, and yet, Lord, I'm probably the happiest woman on earth. Mm. I just felt that in my heart and I was just quietly to myself doing the whole chicken marinade thing and then just saying, Lord, thank you so much for my life. Oh, my gift. So my sweet. Life is, and how thankful I am for my family and my home, my little base house here at yes. the Academy. And, um, and then a few hours later, you know, we all ate and we all caravaned up to up the hill from the housing area we were living in up the hill to, where the we would await the fireworks to start when the when it got dark enough and Anna walk Anna is my daughter and uh, she walked up behind me and put her arms around me and hugged me and kissed me on my left cheek um, kind of reaching around from behind and she said I love you mom um, and she was with friends she said we're gonna go walk around I'll see you later. And she just turned in the crowd and walked away, you know, hugged her back, told her I loved her, and she walked away. And in my mind, I thought, I usually watch her when she leaves. She'd drive out of the driveway or walk out of a room. I would watch her, just kind of observe her. And I remember thinking, wow, she disappeared in this crowd, and I didn't watch her walk away. And for some random reason, immediately this thought popped in my head. What, it was, what if that was the last time I ever saw her hmm. and I didn't see her walk away? I don't know why I thought that, but a few hours later, fireworks ended and we all went home and we uh, climbed in the beds, exhausted. It was probably 1130 at night. And she wasn't home yet. And she had this cell phone that, you know, back then in the 90s, the cell yeah. phones weighed a lot. I can't even imagine. Big, chunky cell phone. And um, and I looked at the phone on the counter in the kitchen. And I thought, maybe I should call her and just check where she is. And I thought, oh, it's 4th of July night. She'll be home in a little bit. So I laid in the bed and left the porch light on for her. And I fell asleep probably about midnight, maybe 1230, just kind of waiting to hear her come in mm -hmm. while I drifted off to sleep. And my nightly ritual was I would fall asleep, usually most nights, praying if she wasn't home, um, I would just be praying for her. Lord, bring her home safely. Mm -hmm. You know where she is. I just ask you to bring her home safely. It was kind of a traditional prayer I prayed anytime she wasn't already home. And I went to bed. And, uh, and so that's how I fell asleep. And about five o'clock in the morning, my husband woke me up and frantically um, shaking me and said, honey, you have to get up, put on your robe. And he handed me my robe and he said, something terrible has happened. And mm. I put my robe on and I remember him grabbing both of my hands in his and looking me 
in the face and saying, it's Anna. Um, Anna's dead. Mm. And I just slumped to the floor. And and I didn't, I just lost all, like, just ability to stand. And I just remember crumpling to the floor at the foot of our bed. And I just said, out loud, I said, I don't, it was a response that was just not even thought of. I just said, I don't have to worry about where she is anymore. Mm. And I can tell you that's probably not a reaction I shared with very many people for a long time because it felt strange to me that that would be the first thought. But as a mom, when your kids leave the nest, you're always thinking about where are they and what are they doing and who are they with and are they okay? Yeah. So I was already thinking that we were preparing for her to go off to school. And um, so Gage, I stood back up and, Gage and I just stood there. Gage is my husband, my wonderful oh. husband of almost 44 years. And uh, he just looked at me and he said, for the rest of our lives, this day changes everything. Oh. It will not, ne- will never, it'll never be the same again. And we'll always mark everything as before Anna died and after. And so, <laughs> Those were our first little words to each other. And, wow. Um, and so we had we had a a community of people. We are. I mean, what woke him up was the notification committee. And so these these five people showed up on, and uh, and made that terrible announcement to him at five o'clock in the morning and um, on July fifth. Wow. We. And we just began to figure out what next. And so we had several friends from our life group at church who we were particularly close to, and they began to help us start making plans. And and we had neighbors right across from us who, who just jumped in at the most awful time and helped us. As a matter of fact, that morning, my dryer died and so i had a house full of people and i was in the midst of planning a funeral from that day forward for a few days and i had no dryer so my neighbor we we've all since then nicknamed her her name's claudia we nicknamed her saint claudia she just came over and started getting dirty laundry and doing my laundry and folding it and just putting it back on top of the dryer when she'd get done. I never ran out of clean laundry. She would, She just kept fresh laundry going through the Bless next her. week or two. And I mean, until we got another dryer. But So those were some of the really small details of those first few hours. When did you find out what happened to her? Um, it was a process of kind of over the next, few days we got bits and pieces of the police report and it turned out one of the couples in our small group the husband was a a military police man a security policeman they call him in the air force and he happened to be filling in for a friend who was um and working at the the desk 
for the Air Force Academy that night for their security. And when they got the call and said that, you know, this accident had happened and there was a military dependent um, whose, whose family was stationed at the Air Force Academy involved in the accident and was, um, had deceased, they wanted somebody on staff, anybody they could find to come and make um, sure that the ID was correct, that mm. they wouldn't bring notification right. unless they were 100% sure. Right. And so this friend of ours, Eric, um, who happened to be filling in that night for somebody who was normally off on that night, he, he volunteered to go out to the accident scene just a few miles, not, not, he knew, he, he said he, he said he recognized the last name and he was pretty sure that it was, uh, it was our car, uh, it was Anna's car registered um, to us, but he said he wanted to be sure it was her and he said, and he came in and sat and shared with us a few months later when we were ready to just talk about the details and he shared with us what he saw when he went out to the accident scene, the level of care and respect and dignity and um, just just how everything was handled by the coroner and the police and um, the accident was just one of those things. The young man who was a brand new friend of Anna's had just moved to the area, was driving her car and he passed um, on an open country road. It was dark, no lights anywhere around, and it, he didn't see any headlights coming from the other direction. And so he passed a car on a hill, although he didn't know the road well enough to know it was it was a hill. He just thought it was open road, and mm. it was kind of like a little roller coaster road. And so where where they hit the other oncoming car was at the crest of a hill and Anna was the only one who died. The others had some injuries, but um, no life threatening injuries. And um, so she, she died. The um, report specified that she died with within moments. Mm. And Eric told us after he'd been to the accident scene and came to see us and um, just talk about that night a few months later after the accident. He said, you know, he said the minute I saw her, he said I was a bit shocked because she looked completely peaceful mm. sitting there. They were, she was still sitting in the passenger seat with the seatbelt strap across her. And, wow. Uh, he said I, I looked at her face and he said I knew it was her. I knew it was your daughter because she has her mama's eyes. Oh. And he said, so I was sure it was your daughter. And he said, but he said she had the most peaceful look. He said, as a matter of fact, it didn't even look like she was dead. He wow. said she looked completely relaxed. Oh, my. What a comfort. I'm so glad that I haven't heard the story until now. And I'm going to cry as I'm talking. I'm so sorry, but... I don't think I would have been able to comprehend the loss that you endured until having my own kids. So just imagining that happening to your your daughter who you've raised for 18 and a half years, um, it, it's heartbreaking. And I'm hearing you talk about how 
things started to unfold after the accident and after her death and how you were processing that. And I've also heard other people that have walked through crisis say there are stages to the grieving process. Could you talk to me a little bit about what that process looked like for you? Well, you know, I read those, I read a lot of books and uh, immediately I started reading and I, and I think really? I read maybe 20 or 30 books, anything I could find. Yeah, on, any help you can uh, get. Practical help, spiritual help, um, life stories of grief, losing children, anything. And uh, I just read and read and read. And so when I came across pretty quickly the stages of grief, it gives you some sense of uh, equilibrium, I guess, that you realize you're going to experience these things like denial. It's going to be hard to really consciously and unconsciously accept the fact of what has happened in relation to losing this loved one. Mm. Um, and then that you, you know, the next stage is described as anger and the Next one is bargaining and then depression. And then finally, you reach a stage of acceptance, kind of a, a moving on, like life begins to kind of um, not be so focused on the grief and the loss anymore. You start incorporating um, new things into your life again. So those were the stages I heard about. And um, I did experience in big waves the denial at sometimes at night. I, I couldn't I couldn't turn off the porch light. I couldn't admit that Anna wasn't going home. Wow. Wasn't going to be home at night. So at nighttime, we, we would leave the porch light on every night. And um, and then there was there were times where I, I think my my anger, the way I felt the anger was um, I don't, I, I remember specifically one time where we had gotten a shipment from family of some family dishes, some china that was um, being passed on to us. And I remember opening up that box of these dishes, beautiful dishes, and, um, and thinking, immediately I started thinking, oh, um, we can pass these on to our kids. And all of a sudden it hit me. I don't have a daughter to mm. pass on this china to. And I wanted to just break it all up. And I thought, if I could just find a baseball bat right now, I think I could really go at it. Oh. Yeah. And I didn't do that, but I felt the feeling of it. Wow. I felt the, Which is the kind power. of uncharacteristic of your demeanor <laughs> slash personality. Yeah, I'm not, I don't usually lash out. I would definitely not characterize you as an angry person. <laughs> But I felt strong anger, right? And um, and I think it it. But the biggest part I experienced was just kind of the depression part. And I I know that word is kind of a loaded word. And for me, I want to interpret that for this situation. I'm not talking about uh, clinical, long term, heavy, deep depression. I'm talking about a very deep sadness and grief and loss awareness. Um, but it's, it was, it was not just depression as a lifestyle for me. It was the sense 
of sadness, of just deep sorrow and sadness. And it moved me to spend a lot of time on the living room floor with worship playing, worship music playing in the background softly, uh, songs of comfort, um, songs with uh, the Psalms um, put to music, of course. Um, anything like that and I would I would just lie there on the floor and cry and cry and cry and oh I, I would do that pretty pretty regularly um, more than a couple of times a week for for months I did that Wow do you still find yourself crying and grieving even today periodically I had a dream last night about Anna and it was probably... Uh, in anticipation of our conversation. And my husband and I had been talking about her last night a lot. Mm. And so I had a dream last night that in this dream, she was alive and we found her. She was in, living in another country and we found her and we were so happy. It was Christmas time. And, and when, and when we found her, we were all together and very happy. And then we said, well, let's all go back to our hotel rooms and um, get ready to go. Um, meet our train we were going somewhere on a train together and while she we all went to get our belongings and meet back together she got killed again like she died oh. again in my dream so this morning I woke oh. up and I had heavy I was telling my husband that so I was crying and crying oh my and crying. goodness and said, it's like in your dream it's been 21 years almost but that dream made it like that anticipation of, oh my goodness, I'll get to see her again someday. And then that loss of all of a sudden she's gone again. She's, she's gone again, but it was, it was a dream. I, I can sort that out emotionally, but it still hits. And it's so, it kind of, it kind of makes a little undone. Maybe if there's some unfinished work that God is doing in my life in that area, I think in some ways that was a little bit painful, but in other ways, it also makes me realize my heart is still tenderly longing for her and I will see her again someday. Yes, that's such a sweet place to be. And I hope if I'm ever in your <laughs> shoes that it'll, uh, you know, I will handle that similarly because I think the temptation is to harden up and not to feel because it's too painful. Yeah, it doesn't help to not feel. <laughs> Have you tried that? Uh-huh. Yeah, I've tried that. <laughs> it doesn't help to not feel. Um, feel what you're feeling until you don't feel it anymore. And mm. I did a lot of that initially. And, you know, sometimes life comes at you at a pace and in a situation where you can't take the time to feel like my husband said, you know, I didn't have a job at the time. I wasn't working. He had to go back to work. Right. And so for him, he had to he had to put off some of his grieving because he had to function and he said I what he he did say he, he didn't feel like he functioned really at his top level but um, he had a lot of people who were surrounding him and praying for him and he had a, a men's Bible study group and they would pray for him and I think his co-workers understood that he was not going to be himself for a while and they lightened his load and that helped but still he had to postpone 
some of his grief and and um and it kind of grief will hit you when you are not wanting it like for me the grief for me that's happened since the newness and the shock of Anna's death wore off the grief became more of um the grief of that she's no longer here to experience certain things with us like when our son got married that makes sense and yeah when he had his children mm. and now watching them grow up it's it's kind of what i think some i read and i i kind of think of it in this way it's called the empty chair mm. like when there are family gatherings there's may not be an empty chair physically at the table but in my heart totally there's a person missing from that circle absolutely and um so i just call it the empty chair syndrome like it's still there the grief is still happening that i and i let myself kind of go through that and feel that and then i can just sit there and go this is this is the reality and god is faithful <laughs> from the very beginning i knew that he was good that we could trust him and that he loved us. And those three principles have really stayed in my heart to help me um, just navigate those really hard times where you feel like you are in the valley of the shadow of death. Oh man. And that I know beyond my circumstances, I know that God is good and i know that he's trustworthy and i know that he loves me and because i know those three things he is with me all the time he doesn't fail um he he's not a, he's not going to fall short and have to catch up he will always be uh, faithful i love probably one of my favorite passages of scripture i soaked in a lot and still do is from lamentations chapter three and it just says because of the lord's great love we are not consumed his mercies are new every morning great is thy faithfulness and i would say that out loud all the time and i would remind myself you won't lord you won't be anything but faithful because above all else you will be true to your word you will not abandon me your faithfulness is never ending and your trustworthiness doesn't flag or fail it is solid and i'm going to lean into that regardless of what i'm feeling or thinking or experiencing at this time i will lean into the truth of who you are and know that that you will you will uphold me you'll you'll take care of me wow i love that mm -hmm. so much and you know as you're speaking i think i would like to know from you as someone who hasn't experienced extreme crisis in my life yet i have walked with other friends and as you're saying this about meditating on truth and things like that, I always desire to offer them some kind of truth as a means of encouragement. But I'm really hesitant to do that because I'm so <laughs> fearful of coming across as trite 
or as uncaring. And so I'd really like to hear from you what it is that believers, other people of the body of Christ did that came along to come alongside you in this grief and to offer you encouragement. Oh, Hunter, you are already, um, you know what, you know, your fit, what you're saying that you didn't want to offer something that's trite at that time. It would seem trite. It's a good word and it's true, but the timing may not be when somebody is in the middle of a crisis or walking through deep grief mm-hmm. because it sounds, it sounds, um, shallow, shallow. And so I, I loved it. I knew that people who would come up to me and say those things like, Oh, um, God works together for good. Uh-huh. Those types of yeah, that verses. Was a, that was one or, you know, um, God just wanted another flower in his garden. And oh, those gosh. are really, really the worst ones. But just the idea that, you know, uh, God is working all things together for your good. Right. <laughs> trust. And that, and that's true. I mean, that word is true, but the timing on saying that is probably not the best time. It comes and across so, as insensitive, right? Then it, that's... It, it really does. It's not what you need is the main thing. Cause you know that if you've, been in the word and know God, you know that that's all true. But what you really need to hear is, is just, uh, uh, you know, it's all, it's almost like you don't even need to say anything. Yeah. It's better that you just show up that you say, I'm, I'm coming to take you to lunch today. So in that moment, do you want someone to ask you questions or is is everybody going to be different in this situation? They may not want to talk. They may want to talk. Yeah, I would say just kind of uh, it's it's best to read the person and what they're what they need at that at that time, and even ask them. It's okay to even say, "Hey, I'm really struggling here with knowing the right thing to right. do or say to you right now." If I get off track, you have permission to tell me so. But if I can do anything for you right now? Could I, can I bring you a meal? Can I take you to lunch? Could I just sit on the sofa with you? Or maybe you, maybe we can go for a walk. Um, The best thing that my neighbor St. Claudia did besides initially my laundry was she would come over once in a while and we'd sit on the sofa and she wouldn't try to fix me. She would just let me talk. If I was, upset about something that had happened or something someone had said i could see tears well up in her eyes but Mm. she didn't try to offer a solution she just let me talk and she really made my grief journey that first year or two before we moved away she made it a lot easier just by her presence man i bet it was hard to leave her yeah being willing to sit and listen to somebody who was in deep pain that you couldn't fix. Totally. So she was, that was a gift to me. So when I, when I talk about grief and when I hear other people talk about grief, I think that's, that resonates that a lot of people say that too, that I don't need your words at that time. I just need your, I need a hug. I need your presence. I need, you know, and, and there may be times where you, you, need to say, I'm not up for it today. Mm-hmm. And just to know that 
that there'll come a time don't don't quit don't give up on them and another thing that helped was that people didn't forget that I, that um, want when Anna's birthday rolled around or mm. Christmas or Thanksgiving the first Christmas we had we asked for help we sent out notes in our Christmas letter uh, we usually would write you know a page long Christmas letter and that year we just wrote a paragraph that said hey we are we're really hurting if you have any memories of Anna that you feel like you'd like to share with us, would you take a moment to write them down and put them in an envelope and mail them to us? So sweet. And we will open those up on Christmas morning. Wow. And there'll be a big gift to help us get through. And that's exactly what we did. We opened all of those notes that came back to us. And we heard things in those notes from people um, who knew her from the time she was an infant. Um, and we heard we heard things from them that little snippets of knowing Anna and, that, and things that would happen along the way that we didn't we weren't there for like her brownie troop leader and wow. you know different things like that and those Amazing. were you can't buy that no <laughs> that was huge that was our most precious thing like we a did. healing balm I'm sure it was very healing we all sat in the living room my mom my brother my son. Oh. Um, my husband and I, we all sat there and just read them out loud. And of course, we laughed and we cried and we made it through Christmas Day, that first Christmas Day of 1996 because of those cards. And I've saved them all. I still go of back course. and read them every now and then. Oh, but, man. Um, very precious. Helpful. So how, as you're moving so frequently with military and things like that, how do you share this part of your life, Renee, with other people? You know, that's a that's a good way to look at it. Is um, I I don't all, often share it um, right away. Um, I really like close friendship conversations more than a bunch of superficial <laughs> relationships. So I hear that once I start getting to know somebody usually it comes up in a conversation when you're getting to know someone so and there have been times I've asked would you mind sharing you know publicly in a in a group or a women's event and I've done that and that opens the door pretty big then but usually I just I don't um, I don't say a whole lot unless and and honestly though it comes up probably easier, more easily than you would think. For instance, when you meet somebody at a new base and they say, well, hey, um, do, you, do you have, do you have your, do you have children? Um, tell me about your family. So mm -hmm. you, when you feel, right. when you get asked those kind of simple questions, when you're get, first meeting someone, sometimes I, I just tell them we have a son who's married and has three boys and lives in in North Carolina. And then we have a daughter in heaven. We lost her in a car accident when she was 18. And but um, we'll see her again someday. And but we still count her. And they are usually very glad you mention it. Mm -hmm. Oh, I'm so glad you told me that because. To pretend like she didn't exist is kind of a farce. Right. And so I don't I don't like that feeling of 
feeling like I'm only giving half the story. <laughs> right. Well, and I think that's part of what's so honoring about remembering her birthday and things like that, just celebrating her life. Even though I think those of us that haven't experienced a crisis are fearful, like I said in the beginning, of bringing back memories that might be painful. But you're telling me that that's actually honoring to, to you and to her, to you as her mother and to her, even though she's not here anymore. Is that right? Absolutely. Mm. It's very honoring. And it and it um, it makes it worth talking about. And it's not like you're going to force somebody into remembering something they don't they've forgotten they you don't forget and so just even being able to talk about it feels healthy and normal um instead of like you're hiding some part of you Mm. you know um so it's it's a good thing to be able to do that it's healthy well you said it's been has it been 21 years is that what you said it'll be 21 years on um the last time we saw was fourth of july 1996 and it's something you know every fourth of july for a long time we would um, go somewhere and try to not be around a fireworks celebration just because we felt like sure it's hard for us to really take a lot of joy in that right but uh, as the years have gone on and now we have three little grandsons and well you know they love anything you can blow up and you know, light up in the sky. So we've reconnected with the whole fireworks scene because of them. And that's a new, that's just a new way of living out that part of our journey is that it will change. Um, Time and healing will happen and, and uh, new people will come into the, to your life and, that will help create a new normal for you. And so for us, now we do go to fireworks for 4th of July. And we we still remember Anna. It's a little bittersweet, but it's still, um, you know, it's still, we get to see it through the eyes of our three little grandsons. Mm. I'm sure that's healing in some way, but also just like you said, so bittersweet. Yeah. just sweet, sweet Aww. tenderness. Yeah. Well, looking back on the process of grieving, looking back on the past 21 years, how has walking through crisis and allowing yourself to actually grieve and to feel all of these feels that you're describing, how has that changed you? Well, you know, I didn't know. It's hard for me to answer that question. You said that question was one of the ones you sent to me and to talk about. And I thought, I'm not sure how, and my husband, I I was talking to him and he said, you know, Renee, he said, it's definitely made you a lot more compassionate. And I, I can tell you feel when people are hurting around you, you feel what they're feeling. You connect with hurting people in a way. And I think, yeah, I think that's probably the best answer. I'm not good at (laughs) describing myself to others, but I think that's probably the best thing it's done for me is it's, it's um, opened up my sense of compassion for others who are hurting. Now we were at a high school reunion a few months ago and I've spent the whole, 
I was not really anticipating with great joy going to my husband's 45th high school reunion. But <laughs> we were sitting, we were sitting there, and two um, friends from his school year have were going through significant grief. So these were two people I spent time with that day. Everybody was having a great old time, just reconnecting with all of these friends from 45 years ago. And I sat there with these two individuals, each I spent a few hours with, and just talked about their grieving and what was like for them. And I got up from there and we got in the car and drove back home and I felt energized. Wow. And I thought, this is the strangest, craziest thing I'm going to say, but I love just being able to listen to somebody who needs to talk about their grieving. It empowered me and it made me feel just, it just energized me. Well, and I know it's so much more potent because, you know, when I get encouragement from another military spouse walking through a deployment, it's more potent than someone who has an experience, (laughs) you know, separation from their spouse spouse for an extended period of time. Yeah. Man, I've seen you engaging in this with other people. And I'm just so thankful for your ministry, Renee. It is a blessing to so many of us. So thank you so much for your willingness to share. Before we go, I'd love to hear if you have any practical resources or um, something that you would recommend for other people who are walking alongside someone in the process of grief or for someone who's walking through grief themselves. I do have a couple. And so I'll share with you the things that I'm doing right now in ministry through our church is a wonderful um, program called Grief Share. Okay. And the website is www.griefshare.org. And it's a, a video series, a workbook, and meetings held for two or three months at a time where people who are grieving can go and gain support and wisdom and just journey, go through that journey with other people who are walking through that journey too. It's very healing and hopeful. And on their website, they have a little spot where you can find a group near you by putting in your zip code and they'll show you all of the places where grief shares being offered okay. in your area. So it's www.griefshare.org. Okay. Um, also I've done some grief coaching training with a man named H Norman Wright and H Norman Wright is a counselor for many, many years, and he's written probably 70 or 80 books on marriage and grief share. And so Dr. Wright is, um, his website is hnormanwright, that's W-R-I-G-H-T dot com. But but Dr. Wright has written a little book that I put in the hands of everybody I meet who's going through grief. Mm. And it's about $4 a copy. You can get it on Amazon or from his website. And the book is called Experiencing Grief. It, it's the thing what, that I've given to people that they come back to me and say, 
that book helped me more than anything anybody else did for me. That little book. Wow. Okay. And I can't I, wait to get I, my hands on this. Yeah, it's a great little book, and it's probably not more than I don't know. You could probably read it in one setting, but I tell people you might not feel like reading anything right now because it's too fresh. But put this little book on your nightstand or beside your favorite chair. And when you feel like you need something, pick it up and open to a page and just read a page or two. It's the size of my husband's big iPhone 6 Plus. <laughs> so it's not <laughs> a big book. Um, and so you can read a page or two and immediately it just ministers to you so deeply. And so that it's a good resource and I, yeah. I give that out to everybody. That's so um, good to know I, how I keep, we can pitch it to yeah, them too. Yeah, I keep dozens of copies handy. Okay, good to know. Um, yeah, the other thing is I read a lot of books. Um, I think C.S. Lewis, A Grief Observed and his book on the problem of with pain, the problem mm -hmm. of pain. Those are a couple of books I read that really struck me. Um, it's going to be different for different people. Right. Some, you know, sometimes you're just not ready to read a book and other times you're just starving for anything that will help. And the other thing that I think is probably a powerful resource is to journal. Mm. And that's something that I need is, to have a whole show on journaling. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I'm not a habitual journaler, so I did a lot of journaling all the time uh, for the first probably five, six, maybe even seven years. Hmm. And and I didn't journal every day necessarily after a couple of years, but I journaled whenever I needed to. And I have a stack now. After 21 years, you can imagine, I have a stack of journals. Wow. And um, they're not all full, but a lot of them are. And I can go back now and read those. And I say it's a resource because it helps you to write. And I'm not talking about on your computer. Do it with your hand. Write right. with your hands. And, and it, it helps you process. They say it helps both brains of both sides of your brain uh, do more processing of the grief and the emotion for some reason your That's brain so good gets kicks in there and so the other the other part of that is it helps you initially to get to get it out of your head yeah and it and i cried a lot while i was journaling that i'm sure and then the other thing was about journaling is then down the road, you can go back and read what you wrote previously, and you start to see, you get glimpses of how you are moving through grief. So it's not as intense as right. it was initially, and you can feel that. You can go, oh, I am getting better. I am having some moments where it's not the only thing I think about. Mm. Um, and encouraging. I can, yeah, it is very, it helped me a lot, but it's, you know, it just, it's a process. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You can't rush it. You just 20, can't 21 rush years it. right here. That's just, yeah. I think that's the temptation. You just want to move through it because it's so painful. I'm sure. I mean, that would be yeah. my temptation. Yeah. Um, yeah. I did. I wanted it to be over. Yeah. And I also felt like God just spoke to my heart and said, you need to feel this for as long as you feel this. 
and it's a big deal. And if you'll trust me to take you through it, um, when you come out on the other side, you'll be healed. Now, I didn't know what that meant, but I heard that when all of those times I was laying on the floor crying and praying and asking him to comfort me, and he did, I would hear little things deep in my heart that I knew were that still small voice of the Lord answering me in unexpected ways, sweet, tender ways, just between him and me. If you'll just trust me to take you through this, when you come out on the other side, you will be healed. Man, so tender. And even just thinking about how he is God, the father has experienced the pain of losing his son. Uh, I yes, mean, what, yes. what sweet communion yeah. with him. Yeah, absolutely. Wow. Well, I'm really thankful for you just being willing to share with us this story and I'm thankful for Anna's life and I got to get you, you to text me when her birthday is so that I can remember okay. um, in the future. You, so thank you so much. Um, this is kind of moving on to a lighter note though. I think hearing from the Lord on the rug in your uh, living room, may be considered <laughs> a simple joy for sure. Um, I'd love to hear what three of your other simple joys are in life, Renee. Well, you know, that question, I immediately can't help but think about my three little grandsons who might not be simple, but they are great joys (laughs) and how much they have brought me back to life in a lot of ways. Yes. Just that I get to um, be in the involved in their lives and hear them call, you know, when they run in the door, Mimi, Mimi, but you know, and then they have something to show me or tell me. And I love that. So those, they are big joys. That's an obvious answer. But I've, I love just, um, like I shared before, being able to talk to people who are in, in grief and need to be able to talk about it and not be put off by that. That's right. a joy to me. It, it sounds maybe kind of superficial. I love gardening. I love uh, travel and adventure. I love um cooking good food and sharing it with people and just flowers and life and trees and clouds. I I know those are kind of no brainers, obvious, but they mean they're just so filled with beauty that anything right now. And since Anna's death, that just reminds me that there's a creation that God has given to us to enjoy for us to take delight in Mm -hmm. and to just how it speaks of his majesty and his goodness and so close relationships I think mean so much more now Mm. I get it you know that it's not our stuff and it's not our situation it's the people we're walking through life with who are really um, the best part of all we have and that my husband and I said, you know, right after um, we started planning Anna's funeral and we were kind of trying to just focus ourselves on making it through the grief. And we heard a statistic that said after within five years of the death of a child, um, something like 75% of marriages 
um, dissolves. And wow. I, I don't know how accurate that is, but that's what we heard at the time. And we looked at each other and just said, okay, no way. If that is so, we are going to have to work at this. Right. So we're going to have to take care of each other. So let's just keep that in our minds, our hearts, that above all else, what we do is we honor each other and we care for each other's needs in a way, in ways that we can that are healthy, that we don't pull apart and blame and try to look for problems you did, you know, you didn't do this if you had done that or blah, 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 you know, all the things that can happen. And it wasn't necessarily in our situation where there could have been a lot of blame, but in a lot of situations that right. happens that somebody wants to, to point fingers, point a finger. And so for us, it just meant we really need needed to be tenacious about uh, caring for each other, that we are going, we have made it to almost at that point, almost uh, 23 years of marriage. Wow. And so we, at that point, we were saying, this is not going to destroy us. We have no. fought to have a really good marriage for years. We've worked really hard on having a healthy and happy marriage, and we're not going to let this kill it. You guys it, it do might, so well with that, too, from what I can tell. Still work out. <laughs> yes. Well, almost 44 years, but we're still, yeah. Because we'll have life. to have you back to talk about that topic. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Oh. Oh, you're so sweet. Well, before you go, I know you are a journey woman who is seeking to glorify God on her spiritual journey. And I've been so blessed to get to witness just a little glimpse of that. But I'd love to hear from you, someone who's had an impact on my own personal journey. I'd love to hear who has impacted you on your own journey with Jesus. Well, I'll say my husband. He's not he's the first person I would definitely turn to and talk to. And he knows me the best, and yet he's he's um, he's good at encouraging without trying to fix me. Hmm. Like he's supportive and nurturing and and gentle, but sometimes he can be kind of direct when I need it too. But um, over the years, you know, I've had a I've had a few friends who just had the capacity to um to just accept the the situation i was in and mm -hmm. go and just be comfortable with me not always being um the most cheerful you know put on the put on a fake smile and just charge ahead kind of right. person so i've had a few friends i have a friend back in arkansas her name is vicky and i have probably a handful of friends i could name back in arkansas um between five and ten, who were who were those kind of sisters for me, who might might or might not have experienced grief themselves, but had a capacity to uh, just be comfortable in my presence and let me be me, and so it created an atmosphere of love and acceptance and openness, and we all just um, ministered to each other in ways and we called ourselves the D group. We were in a discipleship group together. I love that. And uh, so we, we were the D group girls. <laughs> Everybody um, needs them. I, I also can say um, a dear woman I heard speak and I've probably read all of her books, 
um, Elizabeth Elliot. Yes. Who passed away a few years ago, but I heard her speak at a women's PWOC retreat in Turkey. Wow. In the year 2000. So it was four years after Anna's death, and I still was crying a lot. And I listened to her talk about um, God's love and his strength and building yourself up with just in discipleship um, that you get, you know, grow your faith and tend, tend to your faith and to your relationship with God. And she had the life to speak that out loud, like whatever she said had credibility because she had lived it right. in, hard, in hard times. And her um, tenacity for the Lord um, encouraged me deeply. And I felt like God used her to speak to me a lot. And then to read her books, um, very powerful books that um, I don't think they'll ever go out of style. <laughs> no, I agree. You know? Some of my favorites. Yeah. Well, Renee, thank you so much for coming on the show. I am so thankful to have this as a resource. It's been something that I have personally wanted to grow in for a long time. And even hearing you speak now, I definitely have some practical takeaways. And then I also am just going to go get on my face and ask the Lord, hey, would you help me be able to be present with people who are walking through suffering like you did? So I really appreciate your insight. I know so many of us who haven't walked this um, this particular type of journey yet uh, will benefit from knowing how we can better interact with people who are in the midst of crisis. And then I know those who are in crisis right now are so encouraged just to have, um, again, that encouragement, just as you mentioned with Elizabeth Elliot and her experience, just to hear someone who's walked through it and who's done it so yeah. well. So thank you yeah. so much for sharing with us today. Oh, it's a pleasure. It's good to hear your voice. Thank you for inviting me. I feel like a privilege to be able to share and, um, Thank you, Hunter. Thank you, Renee. Y'all, I am so grateful for this conversation with Renee. One of my favorite things that she shared is to feel all the feels until they aren't there anymore. That really encouraged me to press into grief with my friends who are experiencing hardship. Thanks for listening to the show. All your feedback has been so incredibly encouraging over the past few weeks. The most helpful thing you can do if you're enjoying the show is to share the Journey Women podcast with a friend. Send them over to Instagram to find me at Hunter Realis or at Journey Women Podcast. I'm also on Twitter, Facebook, and of course, the show notes can be found at www.hunterbelis.com. I cannot wait to be with you all again next Monday. Have a great week.